Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. But what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Welcome back to Gary O'Driscoll. Can you do something for me? Fix Saliba's back. Gary O'Driscoll. Can you do something for me? With Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friend, (laughs) George V. (laughs) <laughs> Bradley Adams cannot join us today because he is performing in a show. He did, however, George, send me a text this morning saying this. <clears throat> I never want to see Partey in an Arsenal shirt again. Bozo. <laughs> so a typical uh, calm, rational, reasoned response there from our good friend Scramley. How are you, George? Are you feeling better? Better. Better for sure. We were just saying off air, I think. Um, I've had some time. Look, the rewatch actually angered me more. <laughs> I think I go back and I see some things that um, just confirmed how I felt at full time. Really, I was hoping that maybe I was going to see something a little less um, impactful, but I didn't. Um, But I think I've gotten a little bit better in terms of how I feel about um, things broadly. I I think in the moment, uh, the problems are there. I think we assess them actually correctly. Uh, They may have been actually a little bit worse than we even thought. But um, in terms of how our position is in the run-in, I do feel a little bit better, just perspective-wise. And I had a think after seeing a video with Ian Wright, of course. And, you know, I think it's not just the positive Arsenal fan. He had a really good point in terms of the run-in is not kind of a a portrait for your season. It really is a different animal uh, when you talk about things. And so beyond the problems that we know we can talk about and we'll we'll analyze and we'll do all the tactical stuff, just broadly the emotion of a run-in separately is very very different and actually something that we haven't done for nigh on a decade or more um not even just with these players so it helped me understand a little well not understand i always knew but it just helped me contextualize how i'm feeling a bit because sure there's avoidable things but we can't knock the fact that this club haven't been there for 10 years and this is part of a run-in you know like I, I think we've been debating to be held in these conversations. And when we're here, it seems like no one enjoys it. And that is something I kind of lost sight of, I think, at full time. Yes, I I feel similarly, mate. And I think uh, in the emotions of the moment, you, you're you disappointed, of course. I went on to Ludo Guna's podcast yesterday and he asked me a question. He said, do you think it would be a failure if Arsenal don't win the title? And some... Uh, somewhere inside me, I just sort of went, it's not right to call it a failure. Like it can't be seen as a failure, this. I think disappointment and failure are not the same thing. 
and we can be really disappointed as I was last night. But if Arsenal come second in this league, that cannot be put down as a failure. Obviously, what's frustrating and we will come to is how self-inflicted this all feels. But as you put it, I mean, no run-in is, is well, as Ian Wright put it, no run-in is linear. No run-in is, is a simple straight run to the finish where you play exactly how you are, especially not the first time you do it. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I, I had a sense when we... Um, when we were, I think it was, I think when they scored 3-1 and it cut to the crowd and it cut to Saliba and stuff, I had just had this feeling and I was like, this feels similarly to how I felt when we bottled top four last season, well, bottled, when we didn't get top four last season. It felt like a growing pains. And obviously what you want is you want growing pains that make you grow, but they have. Do you know what I mean? It's not just, oh, we can't just say it's growing pains every single year. It isn't and it can't be. We have to improve, we have to have to move on. But we are showing improvement at every level now as we've said before there is a getting over the line thing problem with this team that I think is a a concern for me having an objective and getting over that line but ultimately at the beginning of the season our objective was top four and we've absolutely smashed that so you know we completely smashed it so maybe we could view that as the getting over the line I don't know but I think um where I wanted to start really is is kind of from a, a wider perspective firstly do you think it's gone and secondly, your thoughts on on what I just said, really, because, uh, you know, I think when all is said and done, when we've all calmed down, when we've all got out of the emotion of the game, this has been an extraordinary season. It's far surpassed my expectations, certainly, and I imagine the expectations of most fans. So though there's things that we can and should talk about and things that we can and should fix, I suppose there's a sense in me 24 hours later, you know, 12 hours later, whatever it is, that we're on a good path and you know now now we're out of the emotion of the of the moment and out of the emotion of that sort of instant uh, reaction i suppose that we did on patreon plug um <laughs> i think uh i think i can become a little bit more calm reasoned assured and say even if we don't win the league it's not a failure it's it's disappointing because because from where we were we had a really good position. I think I, you know, we could have been eleven points clear going into the, into the SA had, had we won our last three games, which would have been an amazing position. But that would have been a massive overachievement, as it already is. So, yeah, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think. Um, look, last pod I made the analogy of the Detroit Pistons, and anybody that knows kind of that story with the Chicago Bulls beforehand, they overperformed that season where they didn't make it where they did lose to the Bulls and where they were bullied at the end. And, you know, uh, some might characterize it as failure, quote or unquote. But, you know, that entire story was immediately after the entire team went to the gym for the entire summer and they became a different animal, a different beast entirely. And I think that kind of metamorphosis is something that we've already seen this season. The, the idea of failing top four, turning into what we would become this season was something nobody predicted, not even the most optimistic of fans. And the way we've done it too, by the way, um, has been scintillating and it's been entertaining and it's been back to the roots of what we've wanted this Arsenal team for for years. And we've done it with results. Like it wasn't just beautiful football with no end product. It was both. It was consistency. It was beautiful. It was to a man, to a T. It was done the right way. I know people don't want to hear that, but it was. It was done on a shoestring budget comparatively to other teams. It was done with youth in mind. It was done with uh, kind of our own academy graduates at the forefront bringing us there. All these things are true. 
um, I, I just think when I have a broader perspective kind of of this situation, maybe um, trying to bring it back to the title run-in, let's say, you know, the city uh, performances of late have been what we've been doing all season. That's something that I definitely lost sight of in the moment. I mean, if you're going to praise Manchester City for being perfect, this Arsenal team was perfect for nigh on six to eight months. So, um, you know, City had their wobble in February. They did. I mean, that's how we managed to create distance, right? We are having our wobble, and we know the impact of the players that we have. We also know that we can't put in Nathan Ake for Ruben Diaz when he's out. You know, uh, like... That's that's just a simple fact of the difference between the two. Um, in terms of how I feel about things in our hands, look, I, I I do prescribe to the notion that a lot of the anxiety is that it was self-inflicted, like you say. I think some of the analogy that I'd like to put forward is like a student that has forgot he had a test and had to wake up on maybe an hour or two of review and revision. We knew we could have studied for a week beforehand. We just didn't prepare for it well. And maybe you ended up getting a 60. Fine. It's a disappointing result. Um, doesn't kill it's a yourself. Pass. It's not a pass. It's a pass. It's a pass. <laughs> it's just there. And look, it, but it doesn't dictate your final grade, I guess is what I'm getting at. Like that one test will not dictate your, your, your grade. And it's a bad test. Don't get me wrong. You shouldn't then become a 60 student. <laughs> yeah. um, but there, it, it is salvageable. And, and that's kind of how I view it. The final exam is coming up. It's coming on Wednesday. Um, and I, I really think that we've got five days to prepare. That, that's simply what it is. And we have five days of self-reflection. I think Mikel Arteta has five days of self-reflection. Um, and I think this team has five days of self-reflection because there were signs. And when you were talking about it being optimistic, I look, for example, at Ben White, Trissard, Reese Nelson. Uh, these are players, Martinelli. Uh, th- these are players for me and um, the last 10 minutes of Odegaard. Like there, there are signs that team is there. And despite us not preparing the best, on instinct, we still do things well when we try to put our best foot forward. So for me, broadly, I still think it's, it, it is factually in our hands. I know people wanted a big distance because I think, again, it, it's the PTSD of assuming a loss at City, by the way. I, I do think that's a huge uh, thing in the back of people's minds. I mean, everybody, despite how positive they felt with Arsenal, the reason they wanted an 11-point gap is because they guaranteed a loss in the back of their line. You know, that, that kind of was a, <laughs> a future forecast. And so they're like, well, if we assume that's going to be a loss, we need the gaps. We need the points in order for me not to feel nervous in the last five games. That that kind of was the logic for it. Now you don't have it. Um, I do actually prescribe to the notion, I think that the players are going to actually find this helpful. Because I've said before in previous pods, it's a different mentality to chase than it is to lead. This team has not known that. And while we're not quite chasing, we are in perspective. We are in terms of the performances between the two teams. And I do think that suits this team better right now. We are not the finished product. We are not able to put on uh, an Ake for Ruben Diaz yet. Um, we maybe need another couple windows to do that. But I do think it suits us to almost basically say win or not. Because then there's no debate. If you were to go one, two nil up, there's no conservatism. You need to go full throttle because as soon as you do, you've had the last three games to show you what happens. I mean, there is a certain clarity of thought. And by the way, I think that when you're struggling as a team, you're struggling in life, 
clarity of thought is what you hold on to to get yourself centered again, right? Everybody keeps telling you be present, be moment. You know, I think there is a bit of complacency that comes in from the team thinking I'm 2-0 up, I've done my job. And that's all we needed to do. So there is going to be a bit of, well, you're not afforded to do that, guys. You got to go out and you got to take it. And um, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the challenge. And, and I agree with you. It's not failure. To me, failure, and I think people are, it, it gets driven in semantics, right? There's a lot of rivals and other people that want us to fail and they want us to admit that this team is a failure. But I cannot agree to that notion when they have outperformed every single metric that everybody placed on them at the beginning of the season. Um, is it a disappointment, like you said? Absolutely. It's like getting a 60 on a test in a course that you expected to do well in. No doubt. But you didn't expect to maybe, I don't know, get an A+. We were in a position to, so obviously that test is going to hurt. But I, I just don't see it as over. Uh, I don't agree to that notion. I, I do think if we don't change, I will caveat, by the way, and we'll probably get into the little specifics. If we play how we've played in the last three games, and you could tell me my crystal ball, George, this is the lineup, and this is likely the players you're working with. I will tell you, Alex, I'm not confident in us doing the title. But is there a chance to change it? Of course there is. Of course there is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not confident of it mm. <laughs> happening. <laughs> you ready for this? Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I think, I think uh, I'd like to offer my own analogy. Mm. We're Carlos Alcaraz. <laughs> to use a uh, to use a, a football term, but also the the tennis player Carlos Alcaraz, and we've managed to find ourselves from tenth seed in the world, whatever it is, in a situation where we're in a final with Novak Djokovic. If we lose that final, yes, it's disappointing because we got to a final and you don't know how how often it's going to be. Yeah, you've got you've got you know Roger, you've got Rafa, you've got all these players, Medvedev, like all these guys who, yes, could get into a final conceivably and will be back next season. But we're here now and this is our opportunity. If we do it, that's incredible. If we don't, we take so much from this experience, so much, and it is not a failure. So we will discuss now how we how we fix things. But I also I also just want to use that analogy and just be like, look, we, <laughs> we were the 10th seed or we were whatever, we were the fifth seed or the ninth seed or whatever you were you want to you want to say we were and ultimately I, I think this experience going through this title race for for players like Aaron Ramsdale who made a mistake yesterday for players like Martin Odegaard who made a mistake yesterday is huge and we know we know the, the holes we have if you look at the Man City team I'm going like where okay if they if they lose the title where do they improve like, where do they go? We know where that is. We can look at our midfield and go, there's something in there. We can look up front and we go, there's something in there. We can look at our two slots at right center back and right back and think there's something in there. We know we have growth potential. So yeah, it's 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 frustrating in the moment, but I think long-term in the same way that missing out on top four last season was a, was a, was probably helpful on some level. Um, uh, I think it, I think we'll be fine. So let's get to it then. Um, the line distance was better, was better, but it wasn't perfect. And I want to start, let's say, let's start with the holding Partey thing. I found it really frustrating that Partey dropped back to help Rob Holding in build-up. And if you look at his heat map, if you go on uh, Sofa Score, you can see that playing out. You can see Partey's most touches, Partey's most um, uh, time spent in the game, Partey's most, uh, his average position 
is in the right centre-back slot. And it's like, <sighs> I wanted adaptation to the holding problem. Because, and, and again, what's going to happen is you say is you, you say the word holding, people go, it's not all holding. I know. <laughs> I know it's not all holding. Gabrielle should be pushing up. We're making mistakes in other areas. I'm not scapegoating holding. Holding is not the profile. It's not a personal issue or vendetta against Rob Holding. It's what people get annoyed about. It's like, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, he is. If I had to pick one person to be my housemate, I'd probably pick Rob Holding. But if I have to pick someone to lead a lead a line in a title race, I'm not picking Rob Holding. I'm sorry. <laughs> like It's not a personal issue. So it frustrates me that the adaptation, whether it was instruction or whether it was Partey doing it, was Partey dropping back and assisting Rob Holding and build up and being almost the third centre-back. I think what that does is create massive spaces between the lines and it also creates lack of options ahead of the ball for Rob Holding and for Ben White and for and for the other defenders as well. So how did you see that? What adaptation would you have gone with? Um, and how do we fix it? Look, I, I will say Shaka is a big miss uh, to this equation of the role. Um, I was furious at full time because I think I had mentioned, you know, we have asked the solution. Asking Thomas Partey to go and right center, but whether that's instruction or not, by the way, which by the way, it, it really was because it was an average position. I think typically when players create solutions, you see it in one or two game states, but to have an average position of that basically being the right center back spot, that was intent. That was intention for the way the coach wanted to set up. So he sees the problem. I think this is what frustrates me the most and why yeah, I'm so angry it. on the re like he sees it. I almost wish he didn't. And it was just yeah. a continuation of the exact same because it wasn't, he sees it's a problem. And then the issue, when you're talking about it, leaving space between the lines, it actually creates a bigger space between the lines. And while our defensive line height was good, I actually thought our central compactness was worse. There was a bigger hole in the middle of the park, which was evidenced by Jesus. Again, I don't have the pass map, but I'd imagine he was in the pivot spot in average position. Um, and he was very, very deep. And I don't think we ended up ever really getting um, distance uh, in, in progressing up the pitch because what happened is when you remove Thomas Partey, the other half of that solution is, I'm sorry, but adding Jorginho, but adding a midfielder. When you remove a midfielder to operate in the defensive line, you need to replace that midfielder with a body. Really simple. Like I don't want to make it too complicated for tactics and stuff for people to understand. But if you take somebody out of the middle of the park, Regardless, you need to keep somebody there. Otherwise, you're left with a mismatch. You're left without the numbers. And that's what was happening. So if Thomas Partey is standing on Rob Holding's toes, holding his hand to progress the ball up the pitch, who is the body next to Zinchenko consistently to offer us a way to progress up the pitch? Well, it was Jesus. And we know that's not good because when you remove Jesus from the front line, what you're doing is you're removing a player that is stretching the back line and the opposition. And what that allows them to do is to press confidently and keep their line high. That has been the impact. It's been a sequential kind of knock-on effect through the thirds. And how do we fix it? Well, I've said for a long time, I feel that Jorginho needs to be the center. He needs to be the one that if he wants, he can pick up the ball off the center backs, which is going to be Gabrielle and Ben White. We've seen that partnership work. Um, but then he's flanked by Thomas Partey, who is a right back in quotes or air quotes, but he performs the Zinchenko role. And we all know that Zinchenko is on the left back. He is somebody that offers himself as kind of a secondary controller in the middle of the park. 
And Thomas Partey would do that. You know, he would be in the middle of the park. This notion that him being a right back, quote, in air quote, doesn't mean he's not in the middle is ludicrous. I mean, we do this with Zinchenko. So he would be in the middle of the park. He would just be beside Jorginho. And I would have Granite Shaka deeper. We saw it as a slight tweak in the substitute in the game before at West Ham when Shaka went to the left back spot. I would do that again. And yes, it does unfortunately mean taking out Zinchenko because I don't think that we should have Zinchenko and Jorginho next to each other. I think that is an issue. It's, a, it's an issue of balance. If your team is unstable, you need to stabilize it. And how do you stabilize it? You need to create a platform for there not to be big distances. And I do think that while you will lose attacking fluidity with this change and having a Kieran Tierney as your high and wide left back in the wide position, what you do at least is you may make yourself more predictable in attack, but you absolutely kill the huge between the line gap, which City would exploit ruthlessly. You add another player there, stopping their ability to go up through the middle of the pitch. And at worst, if you have a breakdown, you have it wide. Why is that beneficial? Well, for me as a coach, that means that there's more distance to goal, really simply. If you lose the ball in the middle of the park, you have a shorter distance to goal. You have more angles, by the way. Being in the center of the pitch means you can access both the left and the right. But inherently, if you give up the pitch, what happens is you end up having one side of the pitch with the byline. So you use that as an extra defender. So if you do end up having a transition that is wide, whether it's left or whether it's right, that is much more beneficial because then you're able to kind of crash in one area. That's kind of the big solution I would have. Then up top, look, I, I think Jesus, um, you can't drop him, but he was poor um, yesterday, like really poor. And it wasn't just the goals that he missed. It was really poor in terms of his connecting and his touch. It was really, really emotional. There is a part of me that is looking at Trissard and thinking this is so harsh. Every time he's on the pitch, he connects us. And there is a part of me that is looking at Martinelli and saying, you cannot drop him. And we know the partnership between a Kieran Tierney and a Martinelli. It's not great. You know, as much as I love both players, there's a reason both are big space runners. There's a part of me that wants him to be a little bit more through the middle. And there's a part of me that wants Trissard to connect in that left half space. I feel that that is a symmetry of a pod. And of course, you have fluidity. You can have these two interchange no matter what. But I feel as though having Trissard as one of the connectors, we need efficiency in the front line, something that's missing right now. No one is able to really take control of the ball and uh, hold it. So that's another issue. And he's, for me, a big part of that solution. Another one could be Reese Nelson. You don't love Trissard. I don't know why you wouldn't, but that is another player. It makes no um, shock to me that I found him, you know, uh, quite good in this game. He's a connector. He's somebody that doesn't lose the ball. He's somebody that takes care of it um, and he makes the right decision. Um, so uh, I do think you could have him in the squad if you didn't want Trissard. But my, my first gut instinct is having that back line. Where Jorginho, which again, you're going to be scared of his transition, but you already are with Rob Holding, by the way. I've never understood this logic where people are like, what about Jorginho off the ball? And I'm like, what about Rob Holding off the ball and on the ball? Like, it's an issue. <laughs> like, at, le- at least with this problem, you solve the in-possession buildup. This is the biggest thing for me. And you can have a high line. That's another thing. Even though Jorginho is susceptible, you've got athletes that are surrounding him, by the way, a four-way athlete pod. In Granite Chaka, who's going to have the second ball. Thomas Partey is going to run for him. 
And behind him, you've got Big Gabrielle and Ben White, who, again, if there's a breakdown, which there could be, it's not perfect. I'm fully aware that Jorginho could get turned in the middle of the park. I at least surround him with athletes that can crash there. What's happening right now is when we have a turnover with Rob Holding, there's no one near him that is able to stop that distance. There's no one able to stop the distance in the middle of the park. We've got Jesus dropping deep, and the team is disconnected. I think you shared your passing networks on Twitter, um, and it just shows how stretched we were. I think in my system here, I'm shortening the distances in the middle of the park, fundamentally. That's the first thing. I'm squeezing the pitch again, and I'm allowing us to keep as high a line as possible with having Partey, basically Ben White, Gabrielle, our best sprinters deeper because right now the transitions are killing us and i think that's the best way forward um but look another option that i i have been very amenable to is a simple kiwi or switch with rob holding and the only difference i would have is we build our typical three two um, that we have done, but I would have kind of Kiliora as the right center back in place of Rob Holding. I wouldn't have him left center back. And the one reason I have is because he's a very fluid turner of the ball. Um, he has a lot of angles and no matter what, having two left footed center backs is going to impact your angles, right? And so for me, you put the the player that is more open to his right hand side on the right than the, than the left. And Gabrielle he has an unorthodox gait. We've worked a lot on it. He's done. He's improved quite a bit with it. But Kiwi Orr himself, just naturally, on the half turn, he's excellent. He has an entire season's worth of DM sample. So he knows the ball to play. He knows to step out. He's not uncomfortable in midfield. Um, I think despite Gabrielle taking a lot of onus and stepping in the midfield, there are times that, you know, he doesn't like receiving there. He only likes charging into it. So, I do think that, you know, Kiwi Orr is probably a little bit more uh, amenable to that kind of distribution role. And he does have a big passing range. You know, Kiwi Orr is probably the most accurate long ball passer in the squad in terms of his technique. Um, so that is another solution. If you if if you want to keep the Zinchenko system intact, let's say, um, and you want to keep those dynamics, um, I think Kiwi Orr is the next change uh, that I really want to see. And again, Kiwi Orr is not slow. So we're not going to be worried in a high line. You're going to have another athlete there that is arguably the fastest in the squad. You know, he broke the record. So, I mean, there it, it does make sense to me. But I do think that one of those two solutions we need to see if you want to have success against City. Yep, there's a lot in there. And I, I, I think both of those solutions are certainly viable. I have a I have a, an option that I, I'll share in a second, but I suppose the the, the the problems that we're both trying to solve and the problem that Arteta has <laughs> is is the line and it's the distances. That's the problem. It's the central compactness. It's the distances and it's the line. And however you go about solving that, I don't see Rob Holding being an answer in there. So, and that's, again, I, I want to emphasize, I'm not coming at Rob Holding. If we were in a back five trying to see out a game, I don't want anyone else on the pitch. I want Rob Holding. That's the guy. That's the profile. Great. But you're just thinking about profiles and I'm going, okay, how do we, how do we solve this issue? Because it, that, that is systemically, that is the problem that's, that's, that we're having. The, the, that is the issue. 
And it's happening because the line's dropping back, because we're having, having to adapt, because there's a lack of central progression, because there's a lack of any kind of progression. So it, it, for me, it's a it's an issue. I, I have a different option, which doesn't involve Kivior, and I think involves 11 players who Arteta trusts, because I think part of it is Arteta feeling like he's going to throw, I mean, again, assuming Saliba isn't going to play. Um, I think a part of it is is Arteta not not wanting to throw in a Real Walters or a Kivior at this stage of the season, which I think is really admirable. In the same way, you know, you look at the way he dealt with Saliba. Saliba was probably Saliba was probably better than the players we were playing last season, but he didn't want to over, you know, put him too much in the spotlight. I think, and I really rate Arteta for that, especially as a young manager, because I think he could he could rush people. But at some point, I I do think like, mate, like it's fine. This guy's 22, 23. Like he's not a child. Like he if he if he has a poor game and literally can't recover, like it's it's you know he he you know, absolutely fucks it and has the worst game of his life, then that tells me mentally that, that that's a concern. If you literally cannot recover from a single football game where you made a mistake, that's a concern for me. I think it's different for like a goalkeeper, like a like a carrier situation, because that's kind of defining. But I, I don't think anyone, I don't think, if Kivior had a bit of a poor game, which realistically, physically, he won't because of, because of his physical capacity, and gave away a penalty or something. Okay, people... I I think that's really important, though. Like, I don't think that's just worth skipping over. Even if he had a poor game on the ball, and we assume we're already seeing that, out of possession, the benefit he has of just making us have a high line yeah. means we can press again. It automatically yeah. means the press becomes a chance creation method. So whatever you lose in build-up, you gain in returning back yeah. the press. Yeah. So I think, I, think, I think that's the thing. So I, I would play Kivio and just keep it as it is. But if I'm Mikel, I wonder if he could do this. Five lanes of attack. I've literally got it here. See if, let's see if I can share my screen actually to you because then you can... Can you see that? Yep. So we've got the five, five lanes. I'll try and describe it to the to the audience. Five lanes in attack. Martinelli. Jesus slightly shifts over or could come centrally or you stick Trossard in... Basically, Jesus and Trossard can interchange. Obviously, we're interchanging anyway. Either you have Trossard as your centre forward and Jesus to the left, or you have Jesus as your centre forward and Trossard to the left, or Trossard on the right and Jesus in the middle one. Whatever you want, I mean, it's up to up to Mikel, but I think this might work. Saka, Saka, Martinelli holding width as always. Erdegaard in the same situation. Partey, Xhaka, Gabriel, Zinchenko, and White. So you essentially in possession, you have your five lanes because you have Martinelli and Saka holding width. You have Erdegaard joining the attack as the as the fifth attacker, and then you have Trossard and Jesus. You have Xhaka, Partey, Zinchenko, Gabriel, and White. It's the five players behind. Compactness. Xhaka can get out to the wide areas. Zinchenko's got the progression. And Gabriel's your central centre-back, and White's in his normal normal place. Out of possession, I would drop Saka back into the right wing-back slot in a four. If, let's say, we're playing our 4-4-2 block out of possession. We've got Zinchenko on the left, Gabriel, White, and Saka as our four in the back. We've got Martinelli, Xhaka, Partey, Trossard on the right, Erdegaard is always leading the press with Jesus up front. Now, I know in a kind of Sky Sports world, that is, wait, so you're playing Saka at right back? That's ridiculous. No. What we might lose a bit, we have to lose something. We have to lose something, right? What we might lose is Saka holding width in the transition. 
when we're transitioning forward and him being an outball. But for me, Trossard can replace that on the right-hand side. And he's got the, he's got the re- receiving option um, and he's got the receiving ability. Saka has the athleticism. He has the tackling technique. Did you watch him in the box last night? Like he just, just gl- glided over and took the ball off. I can't remember who it was, but it was an amazing little tackle. He's played in that position before. I appreciate we lose something, but because we have an extra attack on the pitch in Trossard and we have a sort of free roll for him, I think that could work. Look, that might be torn apart by someone and someone might think that's an absolute ridiculous, ridiculous suggestion. Okay, maybe maybe it is. I, I think it works, but you know, whatever. We're also moving white over one a little bit out of, uh, out of possession, certainly into the centre. I think he's comfortable there. He's played there last season. But anyway, I think it ultimately puts a lot of players in positions that they're comfortable in and also keeps a lot of experienced players on the pitch. But whatever Mikel does to round this off, <laughs> we cannot play with the line that we played with at West Ham. We cannot play with someone adapting to Rob Holding in the same way that Partey did last night against Man City. We have to do something. And maybe we should move this forward so it doesn't just become completely as sort of uh, giving our thoughts on how we'd fix it. It does concern me if Mikel doesn't do anything. And, and again, when I think I said this last time, when I see the lineup, if I see holding, I'm like, okay, I'm very skeptical, but I'm willing to, I'm open and willing to see what the difference is. But if we're seeing the same adaptation again, do you think that says anything about Mikel? Because f- for me, it's like, why? Can't you see the issue? I, I mean, he can. He put Partey right Well, there. yeah, but he won't change it. <laughs> but he won't change it. Look, I here I, I i will do the devil's advocate i hate doing this because i don't agree with Mikel, but i will do the devil's advocate and the devil's advocate is i want to hang uh my players with enough rope that it becomes indisputable um is that at the cost of points yes is that the cost of potential mentality that's kind of the drawback that a coach makes when you look at the Arsene Wenger philosophy of never making a change, the reason was he wanted his players to find the solution and they become better players for it. Is that at the expense of team success? Potentially. But it's at the progress of individual success. So I think the coaching philosophy is by making the players create their own solutions instead of you telling them, you actually give them more power because it becomes intrinsic. It doesn't become a playbook that they have to do. And then when they are in those suggestions, they're saying, they're going through the pages, what do I have to do back in the situation from training? That's the coaching support for it. Look, I'm kind of with you. I don't think that Rob Holding could be there. Just a quick tweak in your system. I probably would have Jesus as the wing option and throw Chassard in the middle or there if you want to keep the personnel there just for the pure fact. We need the width. Um, And I think Chassard is a close combination player. While he can do it, we saw that he's not very effective when it's touchline, let's say on the right wing there. So for me, just switch those two players. And then you've got basically Trissard receiving in areas where there's people. And Jesus is an excellent wide right winger. And, you know, he could attack the box in the same way. So I think you can make that system work just by a quick switch. But again, like you say, I think you give up something no matter what system you do. If you're in the Kiwior system, let's say, you give up the potential um, kind of angle to the right, let's call it. We don't know how he'll fare. I think he'll be okay. But in possession, there's a question mark. You give up the buildup, but you gain the press and the high line. In my solution, um, you give up the potential to be transitioned centrally, but you've got a lot of 
athletes there and you do become more predictable in attack. We won't see fluidity and we will have to return to kind of the high and wide left back option, which did give us success, but it was limited. If you were to able to shut down that one side, you were able to kind of uh, have success. And then lastly, you know, I think with your system, the only thing that you may lose is um, having Saka kind of high and wide and one of the better matchups with Ake potentially having a hamstring you're going to lose potentially the out ball of Aaron Ramsdale to that side. Now, I think if you've got Jesus there, you still have it. Um, and the only maybe con to that system could actually ironically be centrally. And that's really between Partey and Ben White in understanding that distance because there is space there. Um, so I think Holland, potentially you'd have to have a really diligent job of Saka, basically really crashing hard and fast into that kind of right back spot uh, for it to work. But like you said, there are pros and there are cons to both ways. The one thing that I do know, the amount of cons of keeping Rob Holding in the team has already shown itself to be a huge hindrance to our ability to play. And the one thing that I don't want to see is our line deep. I don't think that giving City impetus is smart. I don't want to see gaps in the middle of the park. I think regardless, I don't care if you've packed the middle. I don't want to see holes there anymore. because. Um, I'm very convinced that we need to cut the space that Holland can run into. If you cut the supply line, then you have a chance of stopping him. I think if you focus on a 1v1 battle, we're never going to win that. We don't have our best defender who has the best controlled aggression in Saliba. He was the perfect defender. I don't, I don't even think Gabrielle for me is somebody that I would love against Holland. I would love a Saliba type. And that's just because I think stylistically they match up the best. Um, but if we don't have that, then for me, the biggest thing is he's always going to have the threat of the channel ball. Let's just accept it, you know, and, and I'm fine with that as a coach, but I look a little bit ahead of the pitch. If City are going to struggle to give him the ball, then he'll be ineffective. And that for me is kind of my focus. So regardless of that, I hope that's the case. I do think, by the way, Kiwior against a Holland is going to be an issue in a sense. I think athletically they're okay, but Kiwior does have a tendency to jump in. He still is raw. He still needs to understand when to go and when not to go. And against Holland, that could be deadly. Uh, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But I think, again, the one thing that we're both saying right now is we're tired of the gap in the middle of the park. Yeah. Because, really simply. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like wh- whatever you, uh, listeners, whatever you think the solution is, whatever whatever anyone thinks the solution is, it, we can't play the same way. So, yeah. Look, let's let's go to let's go to the break. Uh, we'll come back. I've got some questions and uh, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of fun. We'll see you after this. News and views. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Thank you to those of you who are in the Different Knock Members Club. Join at patreoncom knock and get access to ad-free versions of all of our content, including main and bonus podcasts, instant reactions, the rewatch, and bonus video content for just three pounds a month. And for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com/knock, where you can buy us a coffee. <laughs> That's it. The links are in the show description. We've had a question from Callum Sav, who says. Fabio Vieira, this guy just isn't up to the standards at the minute. Offered absolutely nothing again and wasted countless opportunities around the box. I wouldn't go, I mean, (laughs) I've just realised Callum has full-time Fabio Vieira hater in his bio, so maybe we can uh, can take that with a pinch of salt. But 
I I wrote down last night, George. I wrote down Fabio Vieira identity crisis. I feel as though we don't know what this guy is, and we don't quite know how to use him in this team yet. I feel as though we know in the final third he can be really, really dangerous in terms of a final action. We know he's got really tidy technique. We know he has some really, really strong qualities, strong receiving, strong strong passing abilities for this team could really work. But I think at the moment, when he's in alongside Erdegaard, he's too similar in terms of how he wants to play, in terms of how he wants to receive, in terms of, in terms of the positions he wants to pick up. He doesn't drop as much, but in the final third, I feel they're kind of getting each other's way a little bit for me. I also feel when that when we do have Xhaka and we have that second ball ability and we have that physical presence, we gain so much that Vieira kind of loses. So we're always kind of watching him against what Xhaka brings to the team and the progression as well. I just don't quite know, other than if, if Erdogan was out, I think Fabio Vieira is our perfect guy. But then I'm looking out on the right hand side. And I'm going. Well, he's not. He's not going to get in, get in over Saka because I don't see his his like defender rolling ability. I don't think he's as good receiving in the air. I don't think he's as strong. Um, I don't think he's got that progression quality in terms of carries. So I I end up thinking, where where are you? What are you? And how do we use you? Well, um, look, everybody knows and listeners know uh, this is a boy that I love. I know very intimately, almost. I've followed his career for years. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, took him out on a date, even. Um, what, what it is, is I'll, I'll be honest, mate, it comes down to not understanding who he is. Um, and having him in the left center mid position, you overlook the duty of second balls that you need to do in that role like when we talk about Granit Xhaka we constantly underestimate his impact on how he's able to kind of rover around and kill transitions because he competes for second balls and keeps us up the pitch um I'm sorry that's not Fabio Vieira it never will be Fabio Vieira is is he somebody that is uh, going to put himself about sure um here I'll even use the Martin Odegaard example when, when when we look at Martin Odegaard I wouldn't say he's a hoover of second balls I think he's active in the press I think he meets his marker with a lot of impetus. Um, do I think he causes turnovers? Not necessarily. He does his job to force the ball to a particular area, but he's not a dual winner. I wouldn't call him a dual winner. His his big superpower is making sure that we kind of force the ball to areas that the opposition don't want to be in, and that's fine. But Fabio Vieira is of a similar ilk. He won't go in there and steal the ball off you. Um, and when you have a left footer in that position, by the way, you immediately kill his angles. And Fabio Vieira in the left half space was a very different player to the right half space. They're just very much in the same way that, you know, players have instincts and preferences. And when he opens up, by the way, he opens up to the byline. When he opens up on the right, he opens up to the entirety of the pitch. That is a huge difference when you're talking about kind of what you can do with the ball in possession. Uh, another thing is in that role, it is a running role. It is not an in-possession role. Fabio Vieira is an in-possession player. When you look at what Granit Xhaka is doing, he's not somebody that is making multitude of passes, getting on the ball. He is stretching center backs with his runs. He's interchanging with the left wing. It is an off-the-ball runner. 
It is a Joe Willick role for a Bernardo Silva player. And that is never going to work. If you ask Bernardo Silva to do that role, I mean, he'll try his best, but it's not going to get the best out of him. And so for me, it's again about not understanding the type of player that we have. He is more of a final action player than he is even a buildup. When you talk about him replacing Martin Odegaard, I think even then they're actually different playmakers. You know, um, Fabio Vieira is definitely going to be somebody that's going to turn, receive, open up, and play the final ball. And he needs the freedom to be able to do that. He can't be responsible for coming deep. And so you almost need him to kind of be on the right-hand side, but almost be a final action player. That's where he's best. So right now, I don't think he needs a loan. I don't agree with that stuff. Uh, I just don't think that he's being used in a role that suits. It's like asking Kieran Tierney to invert. There's moments where he's going to do well. But if you're asking him to be an inverted fullback, full stop, period, end of story, that's not great. If you ask Zinchenko to be a traditional high and wide fullback, he's going to struggle. There's going to be moments where he produces a bit of magic, but he's not. you're not going to maximize that player. And that is what was happening to me with Fabio Vieira. It was the wrong choice. Emile Smith-Rowe was absolutely the better choice if you had to and you had no Grant Chaka. Trossard was the even better choice than the two of them. And I don't understand why he wasn't on the pitch. Um, even from an off-the-ball perspective, by the way, Trissard is a much better dual winner than all three um, You know that we've talked about in Art Odegaard, Vieira, and Emil Smith-Rowe. He is somebody that even in the press is very diligent, huge stamina. He is somebody that could come deeper, by the way. And I would ask you a question, mate. Who do you trust receiving deeper, Gabriel Jesus or Trissard, in what you've seen? Both have done it to a degree. But who has filled you with more confidence in your own box or even in the pivot, quote unquote, receiving? To me, it's Trissard. Uh, and that is a big question that Mikel does have to answer. And I'm sure that there was a question in there on the pod for us about yeah. Trissard and why he hasn't played. Yeah. And Petite KB says, why hasn't Trissard been starting? Is Arteta seeing something I don't? Um, and sim- I, similarly, with I suppose we could have this conversation about Mill Smith Rowe as well. Hmm. I mean, I, I think I think as you say, the the left hand side of our the left eight the left eight in the way that we play at the moment, and again, it, it's open to stylistic interpretation, of course, in the same way that Tierney interprets the inverted fullback differently than than Zinchenko. But you know, I saw this stat; it was like, how do they in- interpret the roles differently? And Zinchenko is just better in, in every way. So it's like, okay, yeah, there's different interpretations, but there's also just he's more progressive. He's, he wins more duels. He's whatever. So. I th- yeah, I don't understand the Trissard. I don't understand the Trissard thing because when you look at his ability, specifically in tight spaces, and we've talked about it before, right? Like his ability across the front five. So where do you want that? And if and even deeper, right? and even deeper. Note, like, I I think he can transition deeper. Yeah, um, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to understand. Look, mate, like I don't think you're seeing anything different than I don't personally. I was very frustrated that I didn't see Trissard there. And you know what frustrated me even worse is that with the substitute, he actually played in that position <laughs> again. Like, Mikel recognizes it. I think this is the biggest frustration. He put Trissard there to replace Fabio Vieira. Hmm. I just don't understand why it wasn't used to start. Yeah, so uh, so here's, the, here's a working theory that I'm making up on the spot. I No, no, no. I, said, I kind of said this earlier. Uh, the, I do feel that Mikel is a big proponent of squads and making sure squads are well used and well and feel valued and all that sort of stuff which i'm like i'm kind of down with and in terms of like it's 
it's I guess, I guess it's kind of knock on effect on the on the humans in 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 the team. That's that's important. That's great and, and no problem. But when you look at the football, playing a Kieran Tierney in the way that he's played, playing a Rob Holding for as many games as he has without it working. I understand we want to keep people sweet. And like Fabio Vieira, like if he didn't start another game, now we're out the Europa League. I understand, you know, he might might get a little bit, he might be a little bit frustrated. I get that. But you that's not a reason to start someone. That's not a reason to give someone minutes just because they're up frustrated. You give them minutes because they're going to do the job well. So I, I do see what Mikel's doing in terms of making sure his squad his squad's available or whatever. But I'm also like, okay, but also... Are you wanting to keep Kieran Rob Holding forever? Are you really? Really? So if they're a bit annoyed, is that just all right? Is sometimes, can there just be a little bit? And I appreciate, you know, what we've loved about this Arsenal team is the togetherness, is the energy, is the group, is the is the connection between them all. But is it okay sometimes to just have people a little bit annoyed at not playing? Like, I think it's okay. And I worry that Mikel thinks, oh, he hasn't played in a while. Oh, yeah, I'll let him go in because he's working really hard in training. I don't care. <laughs> like, if you're not doing the job as well, and maybe it's easy for me to say on the outside, I'm not looking them in the eyes and telling, making the decision. But, yeah, I mean, what? yeah, thoughts on that? Look, I, I think, um, let, let's assume attitude. For me, it's more application in training. But even if you apply yourself in training, if you're not applying yourself in the match, is that not also an issue yeah <laughs> like that yeah. is the one gap. that's the point like, yeah 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 like I, I'm, I'm totally i'm totally on board with the idea that train right you play and give the platform that's been the culture I, I i'm on board with you there but if the person that is training right is not performing right then that's equally as much of an issue because the mindset is you train right to perform right but you're getting the same outcome and look for as good as maybe a better perform a trainer or application that Vieira or uh, Rob Holding may be, you must play the players in the positions that make them thrive, right? And, and I don't think, it doesn't have to be Emile Smith-Rowe. Everybody seems to think that I have this fetish for it. It can be Trissard. And in fact, it should be Trissard. He's shown you with performances and he's an experienced player with, again, by the way, I doubt an issue in training. I mean, Mikel trusts him. Like there's no issue there so i'm struggling to understand why that wasn't the change let's say why was the thought fabio vieira in this moment knowing by the way that a large portion of the left central midfield role is second ball recovery that that's the big part let's ignore the in possession issues that he's having right now and we've talked about them but let's ignore it um purely for off the ball reasons knowing that you're having a huge gap in the middle of the park why not get a player who we know has been probably one of our best tight space players in the last five games? It, it has been Trossard. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's what I don't understand. Maybe to 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 give Mikel his credit, maybe he thought we'd have more of the ball, and maybe he thought it'd be more of a controlled game, and we wouldn't need as much. And obviously, you know, really? he, he he might have thought we don't need that, and we can have a bit more quality in the final third to really punish them. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I suppose where this leads me and where this makes me think is, is Mikel's comments this week uh, about Neil Smith-Rowe, which if you didn't hear, here they are now. He said, he's pushing and in football, what you did a year ago, a month ago is not important. It's about what you do now, what you do yesterday and what you do tomorrow. The player has to have that mindset and the contribution has to be now to the team. It has to make us better and to make us win games. He's very close. And he said last month as well, 
He knows how much we love him and he knows how much we missed him and how much we need his qualities. Now he needs to prove it and he needs to prove how much he wants to win, how much he's going to contribute to this team to be better and to win. So this is a consistent message to Smith Rowe. He did say he's close, to be fair. But, you know, in in the last three games, we've needed goals or we've needed something. And Smith Rowe has not been there. So, and I appreciate we can kind of look at it now and think, well, he's just not he's just not in the pecking order. But considering where he was in the pecking order, let's even say a year ago, was he our top scorer last season in the league? He Well, Saka just edged him out, but he right. was for eight months of it. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? So our top scorer for eight months of last season can't get a sniff. I do find those comments interesting. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, past speculation on Smith Rowe. I don't I don't know. I can I'm only gonna judge on what I've I can see. He does seem a bit peripheral in the group, but is that just because he's not starting? I don't I don't know. I don't know. It's it's very hard to tell, but those comments are very telling to me that Mikel keeps repeating I essentially, if you read between the lines, that sounds a bit to me like I need something more from you, mate. I need a bit more application. For for sure. And um but the one issue I have is that's the same player that helped get you out of the doldrums when the entire team was lacking application. Sure, but we've moved on. We've moved on now. We have, but I think for me, that's is that not a character assess, like attempt or evaluation, let's say? You know, I, I, I do struggle to understand how somebody a year earlier carried that application, but then a year after not playing wouldn't. Like, I, I struggle to make that connect. In my mind, a poor trainer is a poor trainer and has been throughout the entirety of his career, um, especially a young player. Like typically when you have attitude concerns like that, it, it's it's something that's consistent. I wouldn't say that that has been a consistent indication of Smith Rowe, whether he's been, by the way, um, out on loan. When he was out on loan, that wasn't the case. I mean, he was phenomenal there. He's always been a good trainer. So he's just been injured. So this attitude thing is definitely a new development. I'm willing to accept that evaluation from the coaches that see him every day. I guess we fill in the blanks, don't we? We don't know. We don't know, but even here, I'm willing to make the jump. And let's say he has a poor attitude, and that w- that's why he's not in the team. No problem. My focus, though, shifts to the players that you do trust and are applying. And I'm sorry to keep harping, but why is Trissard not the natural replacement then? It doesn't have to be Smith Rowe. If he's not applying himself in training, then he needs to get himself right in a position to do so. But then why not play the player that you know has been performing for you, has been somebody that has got you out of a bind and has been an experienced player, which let's be frank, in a run-in is what we need. And and that is the gap that I'm struggling with. In fact, Trissard is probably one of the only experienced players that has shown up in the last five games consistently, by the way. Um, so if I'm sitting there scored. thinking... Yeah, he nearly scored. And, and I think it was even beyond that, mate. Like the way he connected us, was something that we were missing in the front line. Jesus's touch was in Mars yesterday. And again, that's not to say he was, you know, he's horrible and he can't have it, but it was just a simple fact. We were having an issue connecting. And I'll go back to just this last point. If you have huge gaps in the middle of the park, you input players that reduce those distances. It's why Reese Nelson had a good cameo, by the way. And it's not just experience. It's who he is as a player. He takes care of the ball. And I think he doesn't just take care of the ball, but he's able to have a little bit of physicality. Did you see that run that he did in the last minute to really nudge off? You know, that is something 
I don't see Fabio Vieira doing. It was never his game to do that, for example. And so you don't, we're talking about options that don't even consider Smith Rowe right now, but that replicate what Smith Rowe would. That is my issue, I think, with this. And I hope he, I hope he sees it. I think that's really it. I, I don't think that Trissard should be on the bench um, from, from this point on. This is something that I'm struggling to understand. Um, I think he needs to play. Um, and then beyond that, we may have to have a conversation about Smith Rowe broadly, but my issue with it is I'm making character assumptions. That's never something that I'm comfortable with uh, unless I've got, you know, kind of a, a confirmed thing from somebody that has done it or has seen it. So I'm kind of like, I'll leave it to the coach. If he's not applying himself in, in training, fair play. He shouldn't play until he does. I'm basically with Mikel at that point. But other than that, if you're not going to choose Emil Smith-Rowe, choose a player, Trossard, a.k.a., that has the same profile. That gives you the same thing. So do you want Trossard to play or no? Is that, I can't really tell. No, I think he should be on the bench <laughs> uh, for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, Final no. thing we should come to uh, before we close out is the Mason Mount news that Charles Watts broke yesterday that supposedly Arsenal are having a look at Mason Mount ahead of the summer. Chelsea, obviously, in an absolute disarray. Who knows what's going on there? I think there might be some opportunities to take advantage of there. I bow to your superior football knowledge. However, I quite like Mason Mount. I like him in, in a press. I like him. I think he's diligent. I think he can play. He's, he's a perfect kind of Arteta player in terms of can, could basically play anywhere across the front five. Um, not always perfectly, but, you know, can, can can do a job in each of the positions. I think he could be useful in Europe. I think he could be a very... Oh, someone just came in. Um, I think he could be a very interesting player for us and his defensive contribution, especially in the final third, is really good. So I like him. Good age profile. One year left on his deal. Probably wouldn't be too much money. I like it. But yeah, your thoughts? Um, I really like Mason Mount. I've always also been best mates big... with Declan Rice. So yeah, yeah, never a bad thing. Look, I've loved. Ma- I've defended Mason Mount for years. I think he's an extremely interesting player. Um, and I think when you look at the fundamental base of who he is as a player, there's a lot to like. And it would never surprise me that Mikel would like that sort of player. Um, look, he's a very punchy between-the-line dribbler that does when used in the right role, not as a 10 ahead, but he's somebody that's almost a second midfielder. He's not the final action player. He is the Odegaard, let's say, of a midfield three. He's somebody that isn't going to be good receiving higher up the pitch, but he is very good receiving off the center backs and driving up the pitch, being a shuttler to kind of create through the thirds. Um, And he's got excellent ball striking. And look, when he is in the final third, he's got great movement and he's got a really good ability to finish off both feet, an insane set piece ability, by the way. Um, I think he becomes probably one of the best set piece takers in the squad immediately. And of course, he is young, homegrown talent that fits the mold of what a midfielder would be for Mikel Arteta, a punchy between the line ball carrier that is good two ways, that's got excellent ball striking, high stamina, and is versatile to multiple roles. And not just in the midfield three. You could almost use him, which was what he was used in COVID for kind of his best season, as a pseudo left winger that was a 10 that basically played left wing but was really on the inside. He just had a free role um, to kind of come inside and affect play. And, and that's, that's a very interesting profile to have. And, it, and especially when you start to consider how many of our current prospects and future prospects are left-footed. 
a lot. <laughs> um, so there is potentially space for a right-footed option in that crop. You know, Odegaard, Vieira, um, Miles Lewis Kelly. <laughs> um, you know, when you go through, he's back. Uh, he's back. Charlie Patino, though. Like when you have a look, like there's Ethan Winery. They're all left-footed. All every single one of them. And Emil Smith Rowe's the only right-footed option that we've got in there. So I see it. I'll be honest. I don't see the feasibility. I see it from a footballing perspective. I think everything that you hear about Mason Mount is quite wrong. I think he kills it in whatever team he goes to. Do I see Chelsea giving it to a rival who they're trying to beat to the top of the mountain? I just, I don't. Um, I think Arsenal will. Yeah, they may not. Um, I just think that Arsenal are probably one of the most dangerous teams in the Premier League right now. Um, They're the closest to Man City. And so I think if you're a Chelsea, a Liverpool, a Man United, you're not selling your players, even with the last year, to rivals that you consider ahead of you. You may do it to rivals that are equal to you or lower to you, but you never kind of give players to above you. That's always been something that I think teams don't do. So I just struggle feasibility-wise. But if you ask me in isolation, George, do you like Mason Mount? Yeah, I love Mason Mount. I think he's a great player. <laughs> I been just on, don't know. Been on a date with him too? Or? No, he's been a little bit more elusive. He's been ghosting you. Know? you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been ghosted. You know, I got the Snapchat, but just no response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A couple of fire emojis on the Instagram DMs occasionally, but uh, look, we've got to finish there, but we have just got time just for a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Last time out, I asked you about Marouane Shamak and asked you to name the five clubs that Shamak played for in his senior professional career. Oh, God. Um, Arsenal. We know one of them. <laughs> Got that. <laughs> um, he played for Palace. Um, he did play then, for Palace. And shoot, in France, who did he play for? Um, oh, God. I want to say Bordeaux. Yep, bang on. Okay. Um, two more. Two more. Shoot. Shoot, 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 shoot. There's another France squad. One. Or another French team, I think. Um. Oh God! And I can't say Morocco and do international, right? You can't say club. Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> Clubs, not countries. Oh uh, bloody hell! You want um, a clue? Okay, you know what? There's definitely. Did he play for Cardiff? At Did the he end? play for Cardiff. There's one more. There's one more. We played him in our last three games. I said Palace, right? You said Palace. Our last three games. He didn't play for Southampton. Is it West Ham? West Ham. <laughs> was it actually? I'll give you four and a half out of five because I helped you with that one, but it was you West did. Ham. Wow. He played Bordeaux, Arsenal, West Ham, Palace, Cardiff. That is unbelievable ball knowledge. Incredible. <laughs> uh, I'll be asking for a theme in just a second, so I have a think. Uh, the theme Absolutely. for this week was hard men of Arsenal. Mm. And there's not really many to choose from, but I suppose Martin Keown could be classed as one. So Martin Keown. Hard man of Arsenal. How many appearances did Martin Keown make for Arsenal? Was it 310, 410, or 510? How many appearances did Martin Keown make for Arsenal? 310, 410, or 510? Mm. A theme, please, George. Theme is going to be 
redemption stories in the, in the thing of attitude for Arsenal. So who redemption. is a bad boy turned good? Bad boy turned good. Oh, I love it. <laughs> bad boys. <laughs> what you gonna we all do? love a bad boy. <laughs> bad boys for Arsenal. Thinking Chesney in the showers, mate. Yeah, yeah. You have a date, Chesney? Or I think no, he's, no, he's, he's, go- he's much older. He's too older. For he's me. ghosting you too. <laughs> I, I go younger in very big traditional senses, of course. I, I, I go. Marco Skelly, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Pleasure as always. George, my friend, that's made me feel a bit better. I am concerned, obviously, about Wednesday. We'll have a preview <laughs> podcast out for you on Patreon, so you can sign up to that if you're uh, not already. Uh, thank you to those of you who do already. We love you so much. Thank you. Um, so we'll have a preview podcast out with Bradley Monday. I think we is, we say Monday. We Monday did Tuesday? Monday. Uh, I don't know my own schedule. Um, Monday, and uh, we'll be discussing all things City then. So we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for listening. Keep it different, Knock, and we will see you later. Peace, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at DiffKnock. Thanks. Podcast Network.